Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast. I cannot wait for you guys to hear our conversation today. Like my mind is blown at how just incredible it was. I got to sit down with one of my sweetest friends, Lauren Eberspacher. She is a writer, an author, a speaker. And today we had a conversation about what it looks like to walk through suffering and how we can be steadfast in our suffering seasons. And also what to do if someone we love is walking through a season of suffering. And I just, I can't even describe this conversation to you. It was so good. You're just going to have to listen because Lauren has the most beautiful way of sharing the gospel and pointing it all back to Jesus. And I just know that this conversation is, it's just going to help so many people. So I cannot wait for you guys to hear it. Here is my conversation with Lauren. Lauren, welcome to the podcast. It is such a treat to have you today, my friend. I'm so glad that you asked me to come on. Yes. Oh, I'm so excited for this. Okay. To start, would you just take a second and kind of introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you. Yeah. So I'm Lauren Eberspacher and my husband, Eric, and I live in Southeast Nebraska. Uh, We live on a grain farm. So we farm corn and soybeans. We've got four little farm babies uh, ranging from, I guess, wow, almost nine to one. And so there's a little bit of a span in there. So we're busy on the farm, just like you are. Uh, And I write over at From Blacktop to Dirt Road. And uh, I had a a devotional come out a couple of years ago called Midnight Lullabies, Moments of Peace for Moms. And that was quite the experience to put a book baby out into the world. Uh, Yeah, but my my heart is just that people would know Jesus and that they would know the, the freeing truth of the gospel and be able to live their lives empowered by that and that people would just love the word of God. And so uh, that's a little bit, that's a little bit about me. I'm like you said, I'm just busy like you doing farm yeah. stuff, doing stuff with kids and just serving Jesus along the way. I love it. I feel like there are so many topics that we could dive into today. I could talk to you forever, but today we're kind of talking about being steadfast in suffering. And you have been so open with your journey of everything. So to start, do you want to kind of like tell the story of walking into a physical uh, diagnosis and kind of how that all played out? Yeah, definitely. You know, it's really interesting when people ask me what I talk about most of the time, I say, oh, well, yeah, I I talk about suffering and they just kind of look at me and their eyes get kind of big. And I'm like, no, no, I promise it's okay. You know, like I'm not this weird (laughs) person who talks about sad things all the time, but suffering has been a part of my story, specifically the last two years. But even to back up uh, about four years ago, I had our third son Deacon, sweet little Deacon. And after him, I had really significant postpartum depression and anxiety. And so that's kind of where I would say my suffering season started, you know, depression and anxiety was something I had never struggled with. And then here I have this sweet little baby. And about three months after I had him, I'm looking at him in the crib and I'm like, I don't feel anything for you. And I'm sad and I'm resentful of my other kids and my husband. And I don't want to spend time with the Lord. And I just really shut down. And at the time I was actually having panic attacks. I didn't realize it at the time. I thought that I was just some crazy hormonal person but I was finding myself where my I would get anxious about the smallest thing, right? Like I would see dishes in the sink and then I would hear the kids crying and it would overwhelm me so much that I would just go into my room and I would start to hyperventilate and I was crying and I was just angry. I was full of rage. And again, I had no idea what this was. Mm-hmm. I think most people 
who knew me before that would say that I was just like the happiest person ever. And so this was like totally out of character for me, right? But luckily I was able to, after some really hard conversations with some friends, because my husband, God bless Eric, he just did not even know what to do with me at the time. I mean, he was Mm -hmm. like, who is this person? Who has my wife turned into? Like, she's sad. She doesn't want to be around me. She's not interested in the kids at all. And so he was actually super resentful of me. And so here we were butting heads. I was resentful of everybody. He was resentful of me. I had become someone who he didn't recognize anymore. And so we were just kind of in this silent battle, right? I think that we do that a lot in our marriages where we have these things against each other and we're unwilling to talk about it. But one night I finally came out and I said, Hey, I I actually think I might have depression. And Oh, Caitlin, he, we were sitting in the living room and he was just scrolling on his phone while I'm trying to tell him this. Cause again, he don't want to talk to me. He doesn't want to deal with Mm -hmm. me. And without even looking up from his phone, he said, well, why don't you just go to the doctor and get on some pills or something? And (sighs) I stood up. I mean, I like the fit hit the shan and I was so angry (laughs) and I stood up and I just yelled and I said, that is not what I need you to tell me. Like, I need you to tell me that you love me and that we're going to be okay. And that there's that we have a plan and that we can work through this because I am not okay. And he was, I'm not a yeller. (laughs) And so that got his attention. But because of that heated conversation, I invited him into this part of my suffering that he really didn't know was going on. And Mm so by God's grace, I was able to get into my doctor and I was put on some anti-anxiety medicine and antidepressants. And I, I was on those for a better part of four years. And God used the power of praying friends and the word and medication and counseling and supportive family and friends. And he used that to bring about a good work in my life. And so that was really where my suffering started. Two years ago, like, so fast forward, like I'm going through that for two years and then go back two years ago and I became pregnant with our fourth Sybil, cute little chubby Sybil. She is the cutest. I know. If you ever see her on Instagram, man, you can't miss her. She's just the sweet little fluffy toe-headed cloud. She's adorable. (laughs) Just on a like nibble on her. Uh Uh-huh. But I became pregnant with her and I was severely sick. Like, I don't know if you remember that, just like severely sick. Mm -hmm. And uh, I ended up having hyperemesis gravidarium with her. So I'm throwing up 15 to 20 times a day. I'm having all this weird pain. And I was like sick in my, I don't know, were you sick in your pregnancies with your kids? On and off. It was never, it was never that bad, but it it would come in waves. And so, I mean, the waves were miserable. Like, so I can't even imagine having it be full-time like that. So, well, but that was the thing. So my first three kids, it was just like the waves like that. This, it was like constant, whole entire pregnancy. And then because I was throwing up and so sick, I was losing so much weight. So I was really malnourished. I was having all this like weird joint back pain and I couldn't figure out what it was. And I just kind of chalked it up to, well, like I'm old. This is my fourth kid. My body doesn't know what to do. (laughs) You know, I'm falling apart. And, and then at the end of my pregnancy, I was having horrible headaches. I was seeing stars and I kept telling it to my doc, this to my doctor. And he was like, well, I'm sure that you're fine. Just drink more water. And I finally went in at my 37 week appointment and my blood pressure was like through the roof. And so he said, oh, 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 we have to get this baby out now. And the, the last eight months of my pregnancy, I, ha- I was so anxious. Anybody who's ever had 
hyperemesis will know this. I was so anxious the whole time. I was, I was anxious about when I would throw up next, where I would Mm. throw up, how much I would throw up, how long would it take me? Like it consumed my thoughts. Right. And, uh, and, and it was, it was a time in my life where I just felt you know, you know, when you hear the phrase, I need the every hour, <laughs> it was like, mm-hmm. I need the every minute God. And so like the Lord during that season just drew me into this, like just deep time of desperation for him. Right. Like I knew that I needed him. And as much as it was such a hard season for me in that pregnancy, I was just clinging to the hope of God. I was clinging to him with everything that I had in me. So when it came time for this emergency C-section with Sybil, when my blood pressure was so high, it was almost like God had been preparing me for that moment because there I was in this desperate situation again on the operating table. And I knew he was going to meet me in that moment because he had mm-hmm. been every single moment the eight months before as I was heaving over the toilet or into a bucket or a bowl. And so it was like God had just been like preparing me just with all of these little things just to trust him when the time came. Um, and so we had Sybil. It was great. About a week after she was born, I ended up in the hospital again because I was passing out and I was just having these horrible headaches. They just kind of kept putting me on medication and said, okay, go ahead and go home. See if this works. About three months later, I'm at the park with my kids and I I had progressively been ha- like getting more short of breath. Um, I couldn't take a big deep breath in. And and again, in my mind, I'm like, I'm old. <laughs> I just had a fourth not old. <laughs> I'm old. I'm decrepit. You know, this is my fourth kid. Like I'm just a tired, chubby mom, whatever. Like that was <laughs> really what I thought. And so I'm like, but this something didn't seem right. And I kept having this pain in my shoulder and in my sternum and my back. And so I called my doctor and he he said, you know what, let's just get a CT scan of your chest just to make sure you don't have a blood clot. And before I, before I do what I do now, I was a nurse and I was like, I don't have a blood clot, you know, whatever. I know better mm-hmm. than you, but I was like, okay, I'll go and get a CT scan. So I go and get one. And the next day, I don't know if your doctor's office has this or not, Caitlin, but they have like an email system set up where your tests like your test results automatically get sent to you. So like the doctor doesn't even have to call you. You just get your test results to you, which is like kind of a nice thing, but holy smokes, this was not nice. So I get my test results the next day and my CT scan shows that I have all these masses and nodules in my chest. And as an oncology nurse, I'm like, I've seen this, I don't know how many times before, and I have lymphoma. Mm-hmm. And of course it's the weekend. It's a Friday. I can't, I tried and I got a hold of the on-call doctor and poor thing. She didn't really know what to do. So I had to wait all through the weekend. Anyway, come to find out lots of tests, biopsies later. I don't have cancer, praise God, but I have this new autoimmune disease called sarcoidosis. And luckily the treatment for that wasn't chemotherapy. The first line of it wasn't, but it is high dose steroids for like six to nine months. And sometimes people are like, oh, steroids, that's great. I had that when I was on, had a sinus infection and like it gave me lots of energy and I felt so good, but like you're on a super low dose then and you're on it for like mm-hmm. a week. And I was on like quadruple a normal dose for seven months. And that might not mean a lot to some people, but I cannot tell you the physical suffering, Caitlin, that I endured this last year. As a 34-year-old, I felt pain that a 34-year-old should not ever have to experience. Mm -hmm. I was just absolutely miserable. And the the steroids also, (laughs) 
one of the other side effects of the high dose steroids is that it significantly worsens your depression and anxiety. And so I had just come out of this season of being pregnant, right? Super depressed, super anxious, super sick. I have my baby and I'm feeling good. Mentally, I was doing really good the first few months. And then bam, I'm right back in the spot again. And I'm like, God, haven't I had enough? And I think that we've all been there at that point, right? Like where we just have thing after thing after thing happen to us. Disappointment after disappointment, things falling through, things not working out the way that we want to. And we find ourselves on our knees saying, why are you letting this happen to me, God? This is so unfair. And that was ultimately where I found myself through most of the fall and winter this last year. And there was, there was at one point, Caitlin, when I was, I was in my bathtub, because again, I'm, I'm still having pain through this whole treatment process and, and I can't sleep. I averaged about three hours of sleep a night for about eight months because mm-hmm. it's to make it so that you can't sleep and you're a sweating mess. And I had gained like 45 or 50 pounds in that short amount of time from the medication. And so I'm in my tub, it's three in the morning. I can't sleep. My back hurts and I can't breathe. And I'm saying these words, this is so unfair. And I was just, I was angry. I was angry at God. I was so mad because I just thought, you know what, Lord, like I'm doing everything right. I'm being obedient to follow you. I am being in the word. I I love you. I, I've given my life to serve you. Why, why is this my lot? Like I kind of felt like Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane being like, okay, can you take this from me? Like why, mm-hmm. why can't you take this from me? But then I, I did remember in the tub that night, what Jesus also said after he said, can you take this cup from me? He said, but if this is your will, I will be obedient to walk in it. And so as I sat there in that tub, my back hurting, not being able to breathe, I felt the Lord just so clearly bring me through scripture. He just said, Lauren, this actually isn't me being unfair to you. He said, this is actually my mercy. And I'm like, hold up. So my, (laughs) (laughs) like, right. So my suffering is your mercy. Like that doesn't make sense, right? Like pain and mm-hmm. pain and suffering don't go together with mercy. But as I sat there and I pondered it more and I kind of searched my heart for scripture, I just felt like God was just being so gracious to say, actually, what you deserve is death. What you deserve is to go through all of this by yourself. But because I love you, I sent Jesus to pay the penalty for your sin and for all of this suffering. And so you don't suffer alone, but I've sent my son to suffer with you. And mm-hmm. that is my mercy to you. And that night in the tub in October, it changed, it shifted my perspective. It really did. Because instead of looking at this season of suffering, instead of looking at everything as super unfair and as and, and me being angry at God and me constantly questioning every single thing that happened to me and wondering how this was all going to work out for my good and for his glory. It allowed me to take my eyes off of my suffering and look to the one who walks in my suffering with me because Mm -hmm. there has not been one moment that he has not left me. There is not one moment that he hasn't held my suffering in the palm of his sovereign and gracious hand. And so that has been the thing that has turned my suffering for something good and for something that glorifies him. Wow. Okay. So I know the other day we were talking about when someone enters a season of suffering, I don't think they stand still. I think they either run to God or away from him, but I don't know one person that has stood still in their relationship with him. And I think even people who 
aren't even sure if they believe in God. When they have something tragic happen or they enter suffering, I think it either brings them to him or it makes them mad and they want nothing to do with him. So how did you make that choice? How did you continue to be steadfast, even when you were angry? Because we know God is big enough to handle our anger. But how do we, how did you keep being steadfast in the midst of suffering that was just more than you imagined? Mm -hmm. I think there was probably a day, if I'm being really honest, I think that there was, when I got my sarcoidosis diagnosis, and I kind of had an idea of what the road ahead was, I think that there was a day that I did kind of turn my back. If I'm being super Mm -hmm. honest, there was a day that I was like, I'm just going to be mad, God. I'm not going to go to the word. I'm not going to worship. I'm not going to praise. I'm going to turn my back. But I do remember that next day waking up and I said, okay, if I'm going to run to God, this has to be intentional. I think a lot of times we have this idea that it's just like, no, God, I'm going to turn to you and run to you and be obedient and love you. When you're suffering, it doesn't always work like that. I think that the Mm -hmm. more that you do it, it does. But I remember that next morning I got up and I was making my kids breakfast and I just turned on worship music. I just turned on worship music because again, when I'm taking my eyes off of my suffering and back onto Christ, that is the thing that helps me to run to him because I'm not looking at my problem, right? I'm looking at the one whose power is made perfect in my weakness. And at that time, I was so weak. I mean, I was flat on my face weak. And so I think that one of the first things that we have to do is really recognize that sometimes running to God in suffering is not easy. It's a choice, but it's a choice that's going to put us on the road for our good and for his glory. And I also think, Caitlin, that it's okay to recognize that you're going to have bad days of running to God. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I think yeah. that sometimes you can kind of be on this, like running long and hard after him. And then some days like your flesh just becomes weak. Right. And you just have to have to say, God, like help, like I believe, but like help me in my unbelief, help me by your spirit to trust you and to be empowered to run after you instead of going to my flesh or just completely running away from you. But I do, I do also think, Caitlin, that one of the coolest things for me in, in choosing to go after God and to turn to him instead of away from him has been to actually look back and see where he's been faithful in my life before. You know, I had talked about how God used all these moments of my depression and my anxiety during my pregnancy with Sybil to prepare me for her birth and then for what happened later with my sarcoidosis. So then I was able to look back even four, six, eight, ten years ago and say, wow, God, you placed this person in my life who spoke this truth over me then. And I didn't understand it. You allowed me to go through this experience five years ago. And I kind of wondered what you were doing, but now it all makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. You walked me through depression and anxiety before And you're going to be faithful to walk me through it again. And I think that we get so focused on what's next in our lives and looking to see how God is going to work that we forget to look back and see how faithful he's been. Because when we look back and see how faithful he's been, we can say, wow, God, you were worthy of my trust then. And you're worthy of my trust now. And you're going to be worthy of my trust 10 years from now. But we have to take the time to step back and recognize where he's been faithful and where he showed up in our lives before. Yeah. And that reminds me, I think I actually heard this from you. I'm pretty sure you were the one that that gave the analogy of when we don't understand what God is doing and how sometimes we won't ever understand it, this side of heaven. 
are you the one that did the, the tapestry yep. analogy? Mm-hmm. Do you want to share that? Cause I think that's so good. Yeah. So I actually was at the funeral of one of my friend's sons and and the pastor had shared this. So I can't take credit for it, but it's been something that has, has really just encouraged me. You know, if, if you look at a tapestry, right, you see a beautiful tapestry on the wall, all these bright threads woven, and, and it's just this gorgeous picture. Well, if you turn a tapestry over, I mean, it's a hot mess, right? Like there's strings everywhere. They're bunched up. None of it makes anything pretty, but when you look at the back of that tapestry and you see all these threads woven together and and they don't make sense, it's important for us to look at one thread at a time when we're looking at the back. So you can see this thread of my suffering going all through the tapestry, right? It's like, here's my postpartum depression. Here's my anxiety. Oh, and there's that thread again of depression and anxiety. And here's my sarcoidosis. And here was this hard time in our marriage that Eric and I went through. And this is, you know, when we struggled with things with our church or just things in our culture, you know what I mean? It's like all of these Mm -hmm. hard things woven through and they don't make any sense. And you're thinking, God, how can any of these pieces of my life be beautiful? Well, then when you turn the tapestry over, you see how they're all woven together perfectly for this big, beautiful, miraculous picture. And you see that not only are the threads of your suffering woven through to create that picture, but it's it's God's sovereignty that lines them up. It's God's grace that directs them and, and sews them into the exact spot that they're supposed to be in. And you know that if you take just one of those threads out, picture isn't complete. The tapestry is unfinished, but the suffering has to be there for the picture to be beautiful. Mm. And I truly believe that God has used suffering in my life to make my life more beautiful. Mm -hmm. I truly believe that if I wouldn't have gone through everything I have the last two, four years that have been excruciatingly painful, I don't believe that I would know and love him as much as I do today. And when I take a step back and say, what's more important, my relationship with the Lord and knowing him and trusting him and understanding him fully or my comfort, which one is more important? And I can stand here and confidently say that walking with him and knowing him, it's worth it to go through the suffering. It's It's worth it when you have to realize just how far you've come to become more like him. But I never would have gotten the tapestry that he's given me without those threads of suffering in them. Okay. First of all, Lauren, I've tried to tell people that analogy so many times and you just, I'm just going to save that clip of your recording to share people because you described it so beautifully. And I think it's just, I think about that all the time when I don't understand something that's going on, even not in seasons of suffering, but even in just things that I'm like, what are you doing, God? I always think about that because I think it's 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 so true how you said it that those threads need to be there. Hey friends, just taking a short break to tell you about the Dwell Bible app. I have been using the Dwell app for a while now and it is absolutely changing the way that I am listening to scripture and remembering it. They have built the most beautiful listening and reading experience for the scriptures. They've handpicked voices that read you the scriptures and even have background music that can play over it. But one of the coolest things about Dwell is their new read-along experience. If you've ever seen Apple Music's lyrics feature, then that's exactly what you can expect as you read along at Dwell. Gorgeous backgrounds and big, bold text that scrolls as the narrator reads to you. 
They also have listening plans, playlists, and so many more features that are so helpful for listening and remembering scripture. I'm telling you, I think that you're going to absolutely love the Dwell app as much as I do. And they were kind enough to give my listeners a discount. If you go to dwellapp.io slash boldly pursuing, you can get 10% off of a yearly subscription or 33% off of Dwell for Life, which is a $50 discount. So I'd love to have you go try it out. I know that you're going to love it as much as I do. And again, you just go to dwellapp.io slash boldly pursuing to get started today. Now back to our conversation. So watching you be so open on social media with your mental and your physical health journey. Have you ever regretted that? Or what have you what have you seen God do with that, with that vulnerability that you have just brought to so many people? I think that there's, you would probably agree with this. There's sometimes where you get nervous to hit the publish button because mm-hmm. you're like, all right, Lord, do I really want to put that out there? <laughs> mm-hmm. Do I really want the rest of the world to know how I'm struggling because, because suffering is, is a private thing. But I think that the hardest thing, honestly, has been misunderstanding, not from like all the trolls on social media, but like people in my own life Mm. who have misunderstood depression and anxiety, who have misunderstood an autoimmune disease that doesn't really have too many physical symptoms. I mean, if you look at me, you wouldn't think that I necessarily am really sick. And so there are some times when people are like, it can't be that bad. It Mm. can't be that bad. And I think a lot of us feel that struggle inside of us when we're ready to be vulnerable, whether that be on social media or just with a friend or a group of people. It's like, do I really want to put myself out there? You know, are, are people really going to understand? There's, there's this huge fear for me of being misunderstood. And I think a lot of us feel that, right? I think a lot of us mm-hmm. as writers and authors feel that way. But I think even just in my own friendships, I feel that way. And I will be really honest. I've faced some rejection from friends who have simply just not understood or not wanted to understand my mental illness. Mm. And that, and that is, have been, that has been so hard, but it's also not my place to make them understand, right? My, Mm -hmm. my job, it's probably a bad comparison, but even just when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, it's not my job to make somebody understand. It's not my job to be somebody's Holy Spirit. My job is to be obedient, to share the good news of Jesus. And I feel like for me on my platform, it's my job to share the reality of mental illness. But it's somebody else's job who reads that to take it and be able to have empathy and compassion and to be able to sit with other people in it. And so for a long time, for a long time, I felt like it was my job to make people understand. But right now, it's just, it's just my job to, to tell the story, to tell the story of my broken heart and my broken mind, but even more so to tell the story of the one who redeems and restores and rescues me in those broken places of my heart and mind. And so mm-hmm. I think maybe you would agree with me on this. I feel like there's been a bigger space on social media or in our culture to talk about mental health, but there's not as much talking about mental health through the perspective of the word, through the perspective yes. of the gospel. And I know that you, I think I'm pretty sure you just had somebody on just talking about this and it was great, mm-hmm. but, it, but, it, but it's one of those things that if I'm just throwing it out there, vulnerability for the sake of vulnerability, right? 
that's just kind of being transparent, but vulnerability for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of restoration, that's kingdom work, mm-hmm. right? That's kingdom yeah. work. And, and that's the thing that's going to have the biggest impact on people. It's not just going to say, well, here's some coping skills and here's my story. Those are all great, but let's look at the bigger picture and let's see, let's see redemption. Let's mm. see sanctification. Let's work through this in the word. That is where I have found that has been the biggest, the biggest space for me, at least on social media. That is where I've seen the most growth and transformation, not just in myself, but in my readership as well. Mm. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. When we, when we turn it back to the gospel, it just, it turns it into kingdom work. And it's, I think sometimes that's hard to do. And maybe you agree, even in the middle of suffering, trying to turn it back to the gospel, even when you know it's the truth, but when maybe you're just like, I'm tired, God, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just tired. And then trying to wrestle with your own suffering, but still encouraging people when you're just mm-hmm. exhausted. Um, but I think that's where the Holy Spirit steps in too. And is like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to give you this strength that you don't have. It's not your strength. That's mine. Absolutely. And I think it's really important for us to remember too, that through scripture, we see lots of different people who are saying, how much longer, Lord? Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're crying out and saying, when is this going to end? When are you going to deliver me? I mean, I think of those those poor dear Israelites. I mean, I just think of them in Egypt and wandering in the desert and just saying, how much longer, Lord, are we going to be here? How long are you going to mm-hmm. allow us to continue to suffer? And some of those people never got God's deliverance this side of heaven. And, and you know, that I think that's a really important point to to hit on while we're talking here is that I think that mental illness will most likely be a part of my life probably until I die. Just like my sarcoidosis, I'm mm-hmm. never going to get full healing for that. That's there's not a cure for that. I'm in remission from like the bulkiness of my disease in my lungs right now, but I'm always going to have it. But I'll tell you what, there is going to be a day that I take my last breath and when I open my eyes, I'm going to see the face of Jesus. And I will be healed. Mm-hmm. There are times that suffering on this earth is not healed. There are times that my prayers will not be answered. But dang it, one day I'm going to have a new body and I'm going to have a new mind. But until then, until that day, it is my job. It is my joy to follow obediently after God and to trust him and to remember his faithfulness and to, and to go to the word and be fed by it and to walk obediently in that suffering, just like Jesus did on the cross. I have the perfect example of suffering, literally the perfect example of suffering. Even when Jesus didn't want to do it, he was faithful. Like I said earlier, to to walk into the will of his father and his father's will included suffering. And so my joy too, is to continue to keep my eyes focused on the author and perfecter of my faith who is going to be my strength when I am weak, who is going to shower me with comfort and wisdom when that healing, if that healing doesn't come. And so what a great hope that we have as followers of Jesus, of people who have been saved, saved by Jesus, that we know that we are going to be healed and completely restored one day. Amen. Like we have have that hope. We have that hope Mm -hmm. living inside of us. And so when I have days where I'm struggling to get out of bed or I'm having a lot of pain 
or um, maybe a day like yesterday where my anxiety was running rampant. This is not my end goal. This is Mm -hmm. not, this is not truly what I'm living for. Do I have important kingdom work to do while I'm here? Yes, absolutely. But girl, I'm just passing through and I'm on my way to this new mind and new body. But like, what a great hope. What a great hope that I have in Jesus. Mm. Amen. You just basically already hit the nail on the head, but I was going to ask you if you have someone who doesn't even know if they believe in God or in Jesus, do you get where they're like, well, how does a God you love so much and who is so loving put this suffering on on you? And how do you reconcile that? And I know, I mean, obviously that's like the biggest question when people who aren't Christians, you know, that's what they want to know. How can a loving God do this to you? Do you want to hit on that? I mean, I know you kind of did a little bit, but is there anything you want to add to maybe somebody who's asking that? Yeah, that is like the million dollar question, Caitlin. Right. <laughs> that is the million dollar question. I think I have two answers to that. God has proven himself worthy of my trust. Mm-hmm. I've tried to do things without him. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. Right. Yeah. He has been so good and faithful to reflect who he is in the word. Mm-hmm. That has been lived out through the Holy Spirit, through other people. And and so I have had this experience of God. And and people are like, oh, there you go with the word experience, right? Like, <laughs> but if and again, this I'm talking to a non-believer here, but I would say, you know, just suppose, just suppose you for a moment pretended that this was true. Say you believed mm-hmm. it. If you really, if you really believed it, how magnificent of grace is it that you would have a God who created you, who would allow the fall to send his only son to die for the penalty for your sins. When you're nothing but filthy rags, you're really not worth saving. You can't do anything to earn his grace. You can't do anything mm-hmm. to earn his love. But say you believe what that you believe what the Bible says is true. Wouldn't that be the greatest gift of all time? And you're choosing to walk away from it. Just suppose... Right. Just just, uh-huh. just suppose you thought that this was true. And if you did, it would change everything. Mm-hmm. So I could probably go into some deeper apologetics here with this. But, <laughs> but, but that would be but that would be my most simplest, my most simple answer and answer for that for that person. But that is also Caitlin Weir. That's kind of a side note. But I think that that's where relationship is super important. And I think that you would agree with me on Mm -hmm. that because if I would have some random non-Christian come up and ask me that question, you know, they could probably be like, oh, whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. But when we're living in relationship with people, this is why it's so important that we are in relationship with non-believers is because we walk, Ephesians tells us to walk as children of light. We walk as children of light when we're suffering. We are the living story of redemption and a reflection of that and what that looks like. And so instead of us just being able to give a quick little answer that probably mm-hmm. isn't going to meet anybody's <laughs> anybody's need or what, right. they, what they want, how much more beautiful is it than when we're, than when we're in relationship with non-believers and we model steadfast suffering? Mm-hmm. Which I've kind of talked before. It goes along with that about when we are especially as Christians, if we are going through suffering, if we are going through anything and we are working so hard to put on this show, like we have it all together, we are not doing them any favors. Right. But when we can walk authentically 
in our walk with Christ, even in the suffering and even in the hard moments. And they can see that, but they can still see in us what God does with that. I think that will show them more than our words will. Then if we were to to put on this face of like, well, we're a Christian, so we have it all together and we're suffering, but you know, we're we're gonna act like we have it all together when we don't. I've just seen too many times that when they can watch us be authentic with God and in our walk, even in the suffering, I think it opens their eyes a little bit more to while they're really suffering and yet they are still clinging to God. Why? There's there's gotta be something there if they haven't turned away. So I don't know if you've seen that or if you agree with that, but I completely have seen that. And I think I think you actually do that really well as well. I think that you have really just been vulnerable, especially in places like in your marriage and just through working really hard decisions with farming. And I think I think that we we like this Instagram worthy life. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But what people just don't realize, especially with suffering, is that you can You can totally miss all of the other millions of moments in between that teeny little snapshot. Mm. Oh, yeah. And so I I think that that's where vulnerability comes in and is such an important thing because we're not just giving somebody this curated story, right? We're not just giving somebody this curated image of Jesus holding them and everything is hunky dory. No, it's it's mm-hmm. throwing us face down on the floor, crying out to God in desperation to meet us in our suffering. And it's one of those things that people don't always like to show what goes on behind closed doors, right? Yeah. People don't like to show that. I know that there was a pretty, well, I'd probably say a year long season where I wasn't I mean, I was honest about my anxiety and depression, but I, I didn't really just like fling the door open just to be like, this Mm. is, this is actually how it is. And this is what I'm wrestling with God about. I mean, I think, I think that's one of the other things we don't like to admit when we're angry at God in our suffering. Right. Right. Oh yeah. And still, and, and, and being able to question him and being able to ask him those hard questions. But when we open the doors wide, we can see, okay, here's this trust. Here's this faith. But there's also this anger and this deep grief and sorrow and sadness. I I think one of the things that I work through every day is there's a grief of what I thought my life was going to look like. And I think that there's a lot of us who have found ourselves in that situation when Mm -hmm. maybe it's maybe it's something like me with health or mental illness, or maybe it's something situational or divorce or the loss of a child or, you know, finances or whatever it might be. We have we hold this grief of what we thought life was going to look like. And yet next to holding that grief, there's also the sovereignty of God, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we swing those doors open wide, we see both of those things held together and there's space, there's space for both of them. But when we only like, you know, just crack the door open just a little bit, people can just see teeny little glimpses, but they're not seeing the whole thing. But then that's what they, they, they want to emulate just the little crack in the door, just all that they see. And so that's why on social media, it's been important for me to kind of fling the doors open a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. do it wisely and with discernment, right. but to open the doors all the way and just say, okay, here it all is. But this is how grief and suffering can coincide with the sovereignty and holiness of God. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Switching gears just a little bit. Yes. I want you to encourage someone who 
is in a season of suffering? And then maybe can you encourage someone who loves someone who is in a season of suffering and what they can do to support that person? That's so good. So this is great because it's for everybody, right? So Mm -hmm. you're in one of three places today. You are getting ready to walk through a season of suffering. You're in the middle of a season of suffering, or you've already walked through one and you're on the other side of it, or you're one of these other people hanging out and you love somebody who's walking through a season of suffering. If you are in it, I'm just so sorry. I don't think that we hear that enough. I think sometimes Mm -hmm. as a culture, we like to fix people's problems. We like to give them advice and then move on because it's uncomfortable for us. But I'm sorry. And I'm virtually sitting with you Mm -hmm. in that suffering because as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can do that with one another, even if we aren't close to one another. But my biggest, my biggest encouragement to you is that you have not been left alone. There is not a God who just walks behind you or beside you, but there is a God who is walking in front of you, who has already created a way for you to walk through that suffering. Whether you find healing and restoration on this side of earth or not, God has already created that, that path for you. He knows it. It was intently made for you. But the only way that you're going to be able to walk through that is if you let the spirit guide you through it. The word of God is going to be your greatest tool as you walk through this season of suffering. There's a lot of great advice that you can get from a lot of wonderful people. And I'm not saying to ignore that. But if it's not rooted in God and who he is, if it's not a reflection of him, it's not for you. It's just not for you. But you have not been left alone in this season. I can only imagine what the Israelites felt as they stood in front of the Red Sea. And Pharaoh's army was coming. Death was coming. It was near. And I know a lot of you feel that way right now. You're feeling like you are swallowed by this suffering that is around you. But then God was so gracious and he parted that Red Sea. He was so faithful to provide the Israelites with a way of escape. And he's providing you with that way of escape by the power of his Holy Spirit. So if you are if you are walking through that suffering, you are not alone. God is making a way the word and the spirit are going to guide you in that path that he has for you. If you are walking with somebody who's in a season of suffering, please don't be afraid to sit with your friend who is hurting. It is going to be uncomfortable. You might not know what to say. You might not know what to do, but this is where you take a step back, friend, and you say, Lord, I just, I want you to help me love my friend who's suffering. I want you to open a door for me. Show me how to do that. And I can guarantee you that God in his goodness, he's going to be faithful. He's going to be so faithful to show you how you meet that friend in your suffering. It's not your job to fix their problem. It's not their job to figure them out. It's not your job to have the perfect curated answer. It's your job to sit with them and love them and be the hands and feet of Jesus to them. And the best way you can do that is by giving them the word. Do you see what I'm doing here? Mm -hmm. it It all comes back to going back to the scriptures, seeing what they say, and then doing it and living it out. Because that's the only way that we're going to be able to thrive in suffering and be steadfast in suffering. Because me, I'm not steadfast, right? I'm so flawed. God's word steadfast. His spirit is steadfast. His wisdom is perfect and steadfast. And so when we want to be the helper to somebody who is suffering, we go to what is steadfast. And that's the word of God. Oh, Lauren, you are such a gift. (laughs) 
I just, I love you and you are such a gift. And I am so thankful that you got to come on here today and just encourage people. Lastly, please tell everyone where they can go find you and follow you and how they can get midnight lullabies and just all the things. Yes. So you can find me on Facebook, uh, super original at from blacktop to dirt road. (laughs) And, uh, you can join us there. We actually have mom prayers every night. Um, I've been doing that for three years now, every night for three years. We put out a prayer. Oh, wow. Yep. Uh, it'll be three years in August. And so, uh, you can join us there. You can also find me over on Instagram at lauren.fromblacktoptodirtroad. And, uh, you can join us, join us over there. That's just a little bit more of a snapshot of kind of our everyday life, uh, over there. And then you can get midnight lullabies, moments of peace for moms, really anywhere that you buy books. Um, but the easiest place of course is usually, usually Amazon. But I pray that if you do get that book, that, uh, that 31 day devotional, that God will just meet you on those pages as, as you just spend five or 10 minutes with him every day. Uh, working through the emotions of motherhood and looking at what the Bible has to say about it and hopefully encouraging you to become the mom that God really longs for you to be. I love it. All right. Well, Lauren, thank you again for coming on with us today. Thanks for having me. 